0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you. On today's show, we were catching up with a surgeon on all things eyes and not your laser. More to do with bagging and sagging eyes that age you. Dr. Antonio speaking to us from Moorfield Eye Hospital. Dr. Sarah Rasmi sharing why actually February is the perfect time to reflect and reset on your 2024 goals. Plus, discussing dating after divorce. Not one, but two love experts on hand as we talked about setting realistic expectations, what to do on a first date and what to include on your online. Profile too. Plus, it was Dr. Jean Chaloup joining us from City Vet Clinic for Pets and Vets, answering my questions, your questions, and talking the hidden dangers of Valentine's Day. We are talking about dating following divorce and going through divorce, and you know, can be one of the hardest experiences anyone can go through. Splitting with someone that you'd gone into a relationship, a marriage with, hoping you'd be together forever. Well, splitting's never going to be easy, no matter what that reason, but hopefully, eventually, the hardship eases and you might start thinking about dating again, finding love. We've got not one, but two experts joining us between now and four o'clock to talk about the concept and help you with any questions you might have. And again, we'd love to hear your success stories. We love a love story on it. We have got Eileen Lee Connor with us today. She is a certified matchmaker, a dating coach based here in the UAE. And speaking to us from the States, Hunt Etheridge, a dating relationship expert. He is a coach, a matchmaker, a writer, an entrepreneur. He describes himself on Instagram as a bon vivant, an all-round swell guy. Um, Hunt, how are you today?
0: I'm great, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. As I said, we've got a number of questions, a number of messages for you, and Eileen gonna be giving us a bit of the local slant on dating in Dubai. How are you, Eileen? I'm great, thank you for having me again. Would you mind explaining a little bit about how you work with people? Because that might help out some of our listeners today in terms of how they can get in touch and avail of your expertise. What are some of your services, your your, your reasons, your whys for what you do? Um,
2: I, I like to think of myself as a spark. You know, trying to set people up to be in a position where they can accept love and see themselves, tell their story, but in a way that's intriguing and that wants, that encourages somebody else to want to get to know them better. Past the first initial layer of the physical, obviously, you know, past the
1: visual, and then really into the heart. Would you mind explaining, and I feel like a lot of people have a bit of confusion, myself included, about the role of a coach versus a counselor, versus perhaps a mentor. What is a coach exactly? Well there's elements of all in one. And
2: I think as a as a relationship coach, you know, date strategist, all of this, really it comes to the relationship, like getting to know the person. And the more that I get to know the person, the more I
1: can help them and maybe see things that they don't see. Ooh, interesting. So do you feel like a lot of people have a bit of self blindness about who they are and maybe even what they want. Yes, yeah, some are willful and some are completely ignorant of it. Wow, and what about you Hunt? Can you tell us a little bit about, this, I don't wanna say the services that you offer, but I guess how you work with people and ultimately help them reach their goals in love?
0: Sure, sure. There, uh, We joke that there's two statements that every client comes in and says, I just need to meet the right person, it's not me and I don't need coaching. <laughs> and we all just smile and nod and say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have also found the easiest way to talk about someone else is through myself. So I will say I'm married with kids and I could always use a little extra help. I could use a little bit of polish. I could use a little bit of an ideas and different ways to do things as well too. I think all of us, uh, can maximize our, what we're putting out much better when you have someone that can just give you a couple of tweaks and help you along the way. So my job, uh, more of the coaching side of it is to get everybody in fighting shape if you will i say to turn into the best version of yourself so when you go out on the date you have all of your pistons firing and you can set the stage for chemistry to find you the best
1: i love that this must be easier said than done for for a lot of people especially (laughs) when we're talking about dating after divorce or even dating into your you know late 30s 40s 50s and onwards where there, you know inevitably you're gonna there's gonna be heartbreak heartbreak there might be broken trust there might be loss of confidence um what role do you think building self-esteem um has hunt when it comes to you know someone who you know to, to rip off rupaul you know can you truly love someone else unless, unless you love yourself
0: yes I, I 100% agree with that. I think that is a lot of what we have to work on, too. Um, while there is the the goal of trying to find someone, the question I ask all of my clients, I said, I do, don't do want an answer to this, but would you date you? If your Adonis, your Aphrodite, walked into the room right now, do you have what it takes to earn them? And I don't want them to ask, because I don't want them to necessarily get into their head, but I want them to understand that there's, it, This goes both ways. Yes, it's also about you finding someone, but I want that person to also want you. And that, that goes both ways. And so we have to make sure, for me, the goal is not to get someone into a relationship. The goal is not to get someone married. The goal is not to get them a man or a woman. The goal is to turn them into the type of person that attracts those people to them.
1: And presumably, I mean that's not about turning them into someone completely unrelated to, you know, what their core values are or turn them into something new. But sometimes, I guess, it's about Recognizing who you truly are, especially yes. when you come out of a long term relationship, especially when you've had that sense of identity maybe even shaken. Who am I when I'm not in this relationship? Eileen, is that something that some people can have a bit of time reconciling after they're coming out of a long term relationship? Who am I and what do I want? Well, so that's
2: why I have to create a safe space for them because uh, you never know what kind of situation they're coming out of. They could have been, you know, sort of checked out of their marriage five years ago and it only just came through. So they're ready. To roar and get out there and you know meet people and that kind of thing or they could have just been shocked and it could have hit them out of nowhere and their whole world has been t- turned upside down so you never know what kind of person that you are working with and that's why it's such a unique thing you really have to get close that it's the relationship so you can polish it up you know that's one of the services that we offer is that personal branding the image consulting and you know
1: that objective um, feedback Eileen Lee Connor with us today. She's based here in the UAE, certified matchmaker and dating. And speaking to us from New York, Hunter Etheridge, he's a dating and relationship expert. He's on TV. He's a dad, an entrepreneur, writer, and he has a matchmaker too. to us from the state hunt Etheridge, dating and relationship expert and based right here in the uae eileen lee connor she's a certified matchmaker and dating coach i wanted to ask you about the changing landscape eileen because i'm sure you must have clients that come to you who are maybe in their 40s 50s upwards who online dating is a completely foreign concept and you know and they've never had to had to dabble in that how do you feel like most people dating after divorce are meeting somebody is it online well I statistically yes I mean, that's where the
2: most single people are, and that's where you can filter them. You can't really filter people in person unless you're introduced by somebody, which is where I can come in. But um, I, I think a lot of us, as professional matchmakers and coaches, we have, there are three main services. One is the ma- the, obviously the matchmaking where the introductions are there, but it's the coaching, um, the strategies, the best friend sort of like listening, the date feedbacks accountability that's where the coaching comes in and that's mixed with the matchmaking as well the third aspect would be as a digital um, concierge where Mm -hmm. we would either you know help you because it's a completely different dating scene you're meeting in your pocket a thousand person a day if you want right Um, that becomes commoditization Um, so we have that service where we can make over your your profile and we can also swipe
1: on your behalf we're going to be talking about what you should be putting on that profile after half past three. But Hunt, I wanted to ask you, I heard Paul C. Brunson speaking about this recently. He's Ooh. the celeb dating coach on Celebrity Dating. He's Coast a friend dating. of mine. He's amazing. He's been on the show before. He's such a superstar. Oh, awesome. And he he was talking about how there are two main areas of growth when it comes to online dating. One is the young ones, that kind of 18 to early 20s age group who are dating maybe for the first time and doing it online. And the others is this age group perhaps in their 50s who are getting online for the first time dating and it's that category of people who are actually seeing the most success because they're their most authentic selves they're not trying to put up a front and putting up filtered photos and I wondered what your experience of, of that was that kind of 40s 50s online space it
0: is yes to your point the fastest growing segment online right now is the silver wave if you will and the data and statistics are so interesting because you have a a group of gen z's that are statistically having the least sex um, of all of the generations and then you have the the seniors who are just going buck wild frankly and it's just (laughs) such an interesting dichotomy to have um one on one hand yeah it's it is harder as a senior to meet other like-minded folks. When you're 20s, you walk into a bar or a party and there's 100 people you could date. So it gets a little bit more difficult. And as Eileen was saying, the online aspect of it can filter uh, down so you can find the people that you want to. And with the advent of <clears throat> Viagra and a few other things, people wouldn't be able to do the things that they are able to do right now. And as a little bit of an aside, The other thing that is also rising the quickest in the senior world is STDs because they're going buck wild and no one taught them how to not have it.
1: Be careful out there. That's what we're saying today. Happy Valentine's Day, but be careful. Master she is saying 40 to 50s don't necessarily go online. They're old school. Eileen, do you agree with that? I disagree with that
2: because most people at that age later in life, they don't go out as much. They have responsibilities. They simply just don't go out that much. So the best way for them to meet one-on-one is through online. It's a tool, and that's it's not a guarantee, and we speak about that in the matchmaking world all the time, that people expect to... to automatically find their their soulmate. No, this is a tool. It's not a guarantee that you're gonna meet somebody that is gonna be the one. I don't know how you date when you actually meet in person. It's just a tool to get there.
1: talking dating after divorce with not one but two dating experts. We've got Hunt Etheridge to be speaking to us from New York and based here in the UAE, Eileen Lee Connor had a lot of messages for you guys. We're going to try and help out as many people as possible over the next half hour. I think this is a really interesting one Um, coming on 4001 saying what to do when you're too busy to date, work, gym, travel, kids. Um, Hunter, can I ask you about that, about prioritizing this, I guess? What what do you say when this comes up with your clients?
0: First of all, bunny boiler, that's hilarious because that (laughs) speaks to a certain generation that will get it and some (laughs) won't get it, but I love that one. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) um, um, that is the thing. We all have a limited amount of time. and. Especially at a certain age so much is cost-benefit analysis and you want to try to figure out that you're maximizing your time and putting putting everything forward but one of the uh, Choices that people seem to make is that they believe that dating isn't intentional or doesn't have to be intentional and will just happen Mm -hmm. and the way that I try to help people understand that is I say if you wanted to join the gym and get healthier again you make some choices. You have to make some choices. You have to make some choices with your time. Okay, I'm going to get up a half an hour earlier and do a little bit of working out. You have to look at your finances. Um, let me save up for a gym. Let me make sure I get some an indoor uh, Peloton. Um, and you have to get yourself mentally ready for that. Okay, okay, okay. Today I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, when we kind of translate that into the dating world, if you are a, a high-priced lawyer jet-setting around the world, it mm-hmm. can be a little bit challenging to carve out that time because you don't necessarily link it to the future pleasure that you're going to have of being in that relationship or being uh, with that person who makes you happy. So I think that... people need to have a bit of a plan because to uh, Einstein's definition of insanity, a lot of these people want a different result and yet do nothing to change what they're going to do about it. So once you just start uh, that kind of that mental switch of I'm going to do this intentionally, I'm going to reach out on my, on this week, I'm going to do this differently, I'm going to do this differently. And I think that once you start to prioritize that and prioritize yourself, that roll, that ball starts rolling a little bit more and a little bit more and you see that impetus and you see that how that is helping you and that, and that makes you want to continue those successes. And when you feel good about yourself in that area, it leaks into other areas of your life as well.
1: I wanted to ask you, Eileen, such, such wise words there in terms of that like, re- reframing from Hunt. And we touched briefly about getting online, which, you know, for those who might be in their 40s, 50s upwards, who aren't the digital nomads of the, you know, the Gen Zers who have only grown up with the internet. Um, I wanted to ask you about how to put your best face foot forward. And this is something you offer as a service, you know, acting as a bit of a concierge, creating profiles, even acting on your behalf. Um, What do you tend to advise when it comes to good choice of photograph, descriptive words? Do you say on your profile that you have kids from the outset? I think
2: if that's important, I, I, yes, I do, because a lot of other single parents, they're looking for other single parents, because a lot of people don't want to date somebody who has a kid and they might not understand, there's a, that whole debate. But it's important to, um, if you're open to it and you're a single parent, put that on there, because other single parents, you would be attracting that to you as well. I don't think about lying in, in any shape, way, shape or form, And but also not... Putting all your laundry out there right away, either. Like, oh, and I have OCD, and I had, I just got yeah. over depression. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. There's alcoholism that runs in my family, so <laughs> I don't have to say everything. I, I said earlier that um, Paulsy Brunson had said that actually a lot of people um, in that kind of older bracket are having great success in online dating because they're not using the filtered pictures because they don't know how to how to put a filter on. Mm-hmm. So actually, when they're meeting someone, it's actually with in a much more authentic way. You know, you basically know what you're what you're getting. What photos do you think can perform well with online dating? Something that shows you
2: and a bit of your personality. You don't want just a portrait, boring. A lot of people um, have problems dating because they wear their work hat. So you don't want to put that on your photo. Don't put your either. LinkedIn photo on that. No, no. <laughs> something that like something that shows that you have a sense of humor. Like you know, just like a, a wink in your eye. That mm. is. But also, don't cover your body with a pet. You know, and don't have like your your cool best friend in there because it's
1: confusing to the person like, oh, well, I want to date that person. No one hotter. <laughs> might, yeah, yeah, might not want to be you. Um, Hunter, I wanted to put a message to you that's come in on 4001. Um, this is from a gentleman um, who says, I would love to meet a happy, secure woman in her early 40s, but every woman I'm approached <coughs> by online and even real life, is in her 20s looking for someone to fund her lifestyle. I can barely afford mine. That's an anonymous message. Is this something that you hear from male clients about, you know, I'm not here to basically pay for you?
0: Yeah, yeah. On the other side of it, uh, it can be um, expensive to date. In New York City, I have some women that say they are on the New York meal plan. Which means they go out on a date once a week, or twice a week, or three times a week. <laughs>
1: there, there was a story so, recently about a woman who refused to buy groceries and only only ate when her oh yeah. dates paid for
0: her food. Yeah, I saw that. That didn't receive a lot of good feedback on that no. one. Um, yeah, this 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 can be a challenge. It's um, because there's, I am looking for X. Is X also looking for me? And, and finding those two things together can be challenging. And I know, especially within the last two years in Dubai, with, with the regulations um, easing, there's a lot more digital nomads, or we call them laptop, laptop entrepreneurs coming in, and a lot of um, maybe women that are leaving situations that they don't want to be in to come to Dubai mm-hmm. for a new future. And yes, they start there's still the the gendered world of it's my job to take care of you and it's your job to take care of me in certain ways. It's not great, but it's also not horrible if both sides are okay with this. But what I do say is while Eileen commented that yes, online is a tool and it needs to be used and everybody should get online if to just to help that go, In-person is still important. And when I talk to my clients, I say, okay, you want to meet this type of a person. Where does this type of person go? What type of activities do they like to do? You're not going to necessarily find them at a a local coffee shop, but you may find them at a polo match. You may not find them um, uh, at the nightlife, but you may find them at a charity event. And so it's almost like reverse engineering the type of person woman man that you would like to attract and then trying to figure out how do they live their life what things motivate them and where can I find them because in order to find the people you like you've got to go where they are
1: They're not going to come knocking on your apartment door, sadly, as convenient as that would be. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, we've had a couple of messages along the same lines here, asking about becoming inflexible, um, um, becoming a message here saying hyper-independence is a thing. The more years you are single, the more you get used to it. And exactly that, a message here saying, you know, I was, um, you know, I basically fought really hard to to get my divorce and now i'm in charge of my home i don't want to compromise and the odds of me meeting someone that matches my criteria who's also single and attracted me seems really really slim any advice that's from that's from Jules. eileen is this something that you have to work with people yes. with and say yes. you know, yes you yes 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 you know you were in a marriage for decades and you got used to a certain dynamic now you're single and you might be loving your independence and is there room in your life in your heart for someone, even if you are saying you do want to meet them. This is more common than than
2: most people think. And this is another reason why, um, you know, we have a job. (laughs) It's because we have to really question, like, okay, so what is it that you want? And really break that down and and not just have, like, okay, I want somebody who makes X amount of money and is this height and likes this kind of music. Because you don't know what shape it's going to come in when you connect with somebody Mm -hmm. and and your heart. And I really push them whenever I talk to anybody or on board them, I really push them to, like question that. I challenge them. Why is that a hard note? Why is that a deal breaker? Because they're reacting a lot of times to their old relationship. Mm-hmm. But that old relationship, just because they didn't like chocolate, for example, doesn't mean that, okay, I don't want anybody who,
1: you know, I, I, somebody has to ha- like chocolate. You know, it's it's these things are irrelevant. Patricia saying, I was 40 when my marriage ended, 41 when he moved out of the marital home. I've dated in the last few years, but nothing has gone further. I'd love to find someone to live with, but I value my space and the hard-won life I have now. I think my standards are higher now. Nothing wrong with that, Patricia, but we're going to talk next about getting back out there and ultimately those first dates after divorce. Speaking to us from NYC, Hunt Etheridge is dating and relationship expert. And Eileen Lee Connor with us right here in Dubai, certified matchmaker and dating coach. So we do have the relationship experts with us. And we're talking about dating after divorce. Now, I've had a couple of messages that I want to read to you. Some have got questions, some I'm really just kind of reflecting on what we're talking about today. This one is anonymous saying, I was married for 5 years, we were together for 10, ultimately trying for a baby tore us apart and I feel like I wasted my best years with someone that ultimately didn't actually want a family and now my chance at being a mother is finished. I can't reconcile this new ra- new reality. I'm not sure what I'm asking but it's really, really hard. And we were talking about heartbreak on the show yesterday, Anonymous, so I do urge you to go and check that out. We were speaking uh, to a psychologist and the podcast is up there, but um, thank you for reaching out. Um, And the message here about online dating, this is from Kate saying, after divorce, I joined a couple of dating apps. It was really fun. Met and dated a few guys for a few months, but it fizzled out. But I'm back now and I've noticed a lot of the same faces are still there. It feels like some men are permanently on the apps. Is it a hobby to them? Do other women do it too? It just seems so depressing. I'm thinking about setting myself a time limit on how I actually use them. Hunt, how do you feel about that? You know, is it, do you feel how serious do you think some people are using the apps or is it just a bit of an ego boost or to borrow Kate's word there, a bit of a hobby?
0: The easiest answer is yes, all of the above. Um, And that's why it's important to be intentional about it because some people are using the apps as entertainment. Some people are looking for pen pals. Some people may be trying to get uh, something they're not getting from the current relationship they're in, uh, whether it's respect Mm -hmm. or excitement or or flirting or things like that as well too. Yeah, so it's important to, again, back to cost-benefit analysis, if you're serious about finding someone, you wanna know what this person's intentions are relatively quickly. So if you are online, I recommend no more than two to three interactions back and forth before you suggest meeting in person. Because you definitely want to know if this person is serious. You want to know if you do have any chemistry and a lot of times, people, uh, I'd say, give out all of their good on, on the emails and texts back and forth. <laughs> and after two weeks of yeah. giving all that out, they have no desire to meet each other anymore. So
1: that's interesting. I, so I all recommend the, all the banter to- on the text. So meet on the app and yes. then get off the
2: app.
0: Okay. Especially younger yes.
2: generations, actually, because they're much more used to texting and they don't like to call. They don't like to pick up the phone. So you have to balance that as well.
1: Last question to you, um, and and I'll come to you with the same question. Eileen, once you've met on an app and you get off the app and you go for a first date, what's your number one tip for establishing, and we're talking talking dating after divorce now, for, I guess, and when I say successful first date, I don't necessarily necessarily mean it being the best first date ever, and that means a second one, but I mean maybe getting the most information out of that date. I th- my my best advice is to have your
2: story down. You know, that it, it's sort of like your elevator pitch about who you are, and then ask a question, but answer it as well. Meaning that it's not less of an, an interview then. And
1: Hunt, what about you? First date after a divorce, what's your number one tip?
0: Socrates says, I can learn more about a man in an hour of play than in a lifetime of conversation. So I absolutely recommend getting away from the classic dinner date sort of thing across the table and go do an activity date because you wanna see how this person interacts with the world, other people yep. uh, and and that it's, it's very easy to say uh lie with your words but it's much much harder to lie with your body and i want to see how this person reacts in the world itself that's going to tell you much more than what's actually coming out of their mouth
1: love it hunt for anyone who wants to find you online um we'll be very happy to share your instagram it's been an absolute pleasure we'd love to chat again so thank you and happy valentine's day to you thank and i is based here in the uae Joining us between now and five, Dr. Jean Chaloube from City Vet Clinic sharing his expert advice and I want to say happy Valentine's Day, Dr. Jean, how are you?
3: I'm good, thanks. How are you
1: doing? I'm very well, thank you. I've got uh, got a beautiful bunch of roses in front of me, not sent by my husband, sent by a colleague. Let's get the old Dubai rumor mill going. Um, let's talk about some, some of the hidden dangers that might be facing our pets on the most romantic of days. What do we need to know?
3: Oh, it's uh, we have a lot. Because, you know, everyone is getting flowers right now, everyone is getting um, toys, maybe, and maybe some sushi and stuff Chocol- for tonight. Chocolates. Yeah, chocolate also. Yeah, yeah. So, most of them are a bit dangerous for our pets, such as, you know, the teddy bears, the cute ones. Usually some curious dog tend to start chewing on them and there's...
1: The loose the eyes, the nose, yeah. the, all that, so obstruct, yeah. kind of obstruct yeah. stuff.
3: And you know, lilies are always dangerous for pets. So, yeah.
1: So, guys, maybe gentlemen, if you haven't sent flowers, maybe maybe that's your excuse. I'm just thinking about the animals in our home. Um, I want to ask you about the chocolate thing, though, because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, obvious, it's, it's very well known that chocolate for dogs in particular is really, really bad news. But does it depend on, I don't know, the size of the dog, the amount of chocolate, even the type of chocolate?
3: Exactly. Usually dark chocolate is very, very, very toxic for dogs and also cats it has theobromine which is very toxic and it causes sometimes seizures if the dog ingested a lot mm. and diarrhea vomiting and usually it's a very sometimes it can go for a very critical issue
1: okay so <laughs> let's say the worst has happened no. and you know Jarvis demolishes, uh, I don't know, a box, of, a box of dark lint chocolates. Which sounds pretty nice to me actually, husband if you're listening. Um, what do you do? You know, is it a case of, oh my goodness, I've just seen the wrappers, it's straight to the vet or do you wait at home to see what happens?
3: No, directly rush to your nearest clinic directly
1: what do you do there though
3: well we can induce vomiting it depends on uh, what time did the dog ingested and uh, sometimes we put fluids we do some blood works and we monitor for like couple of days just to see if there's anything happening you know the owner really don't don't want to see what's like the seizures and stuff at home so it's it's pretty dangerous
1: (laughs) Dr. Jean Chaloub is with us today from the SETI Vet Clinic. If you've got any questions for him, you can get in touch four you You've got the app, of course, and the WhatsApp. You can send your photos. And do not pretend to me that you haven't got hundreds. Um, Pics of your pets could be scoring you a three-month supply of pro-plan pet food. Um, So what's been keeping you busy in clinic? What's been coming in? Is there anything you've been finding yourself sending a message going, oh, my goodness, you'll never believe what I saw today?
3: Well, usually... Around Christmas, people, parents tend to of, like to get dogs and cats. So right now we're we're focusing a lot on um, the vaccinations and the prevention thingies. Uh, we are seeing a lot of vaccinations and you know good nutrition, the normal stuff. Uh, but uh, yesterday I got a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we had
1: rabbits growing up. They were an absolute nightmare because they kept on trying to dig out of the... Of, my dad had built them basically like a run out of wood and chicken wire and they were forever burying out and we spent a large proportion of my childhood running around the garden chasing after these rabbits. They did not want to be pets.
3: No, no. Usually like if you get them at really tiny age yeah, like, you, can, you can domesticate them but if they are a bit older it's a bit hard because they want they just want to roam around and...
1: It was a bit of a myth as well that, pet, that rabbits make amazing first pets for kids. But they actually don't really even like being touched that much. <laughs> it was an, all in all, not not a great first pet.
3: Yeah, it's a bit like you, you, you need someone who likes this stuff. So uh, rabbits and, uh, you know, there's cat person, dog person, and right now rabbit person. Rabbit person. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Get that in on your online dating profile. love a Wednesday afternoon because the photos are just gorgeous. Lisa's been in touch with her dog Stenson. What a name. Rescued from canine friends six years ago. He's seven. He's also wearing antlers and a massive smile. Uh, we've had a photo of Coco on New Year's Eve looking very fancy indeed. And Toby, um, a nine year old Turkish Angora joining us to obviously coo over the photos with me, but more importantly, take your questions is Dr. Jean from City Vet Clinic. And you can reach us on the WhatsApp, which way you can send your picks to win. Um, 048715500 and there's 4001 as well. So, Tool is talking about Toby, who's a very handsome boy wearing a bow tie, um, saying he's usually really well litter trained, but suddenly started urinating in a few spots inside the house. It's new, it's unexpected. Anything, um, any ideas what might be causing it? He's the only cat in the house and receives a lot of pampering. What, what were the questions you'd be asking, Batul, and indeed Toby, if they came into clinic?
3: Well, your cat is trying to send you a message. So obviously there's something wrong, maybe in the litter box, or maybe something internal, some infection, like urinary tract infection, or maybe some stones, maybe. So your cat is trying to tell you something, like there's something wrong. So please so take an appointment. yeah.
1: So with the, so with, I'm just trying to yeah. kind of, kind of drill yeah. down on this so with the litter tray could it I mean could it be the litter the, litter, the type of litter has changed exactly. or could there be pain getting into the litter box that kind yeah of
3: thing? It, it might be it might be both so usually we never know until we go for some x-rays maybe some ultrasound also and then we can check like what's really happening does it make yeah. a
1: difference if a cat has been neutered or not in these kind of behaviors
3: exactly yeah usually when they get neutered so they tend to be more healthy concerning this stuff but, again, we never know until we go for further investigation.
1: So no answers as such there at all. But I guess the questions you need to be asking yourself to try and get into it. But I think you're absolutely right. Go to a vet and make sure you're getting anything medical Especially ruled out. Especially he's
3: nine years old. So okay. Oh, yeah.
1: and so gorgeous. Um, I hope that helps and all the very best. Um, we've had a message here um, asking, saying the, the new food we've given our puppy has given them the runs. Nine-month-old chihuahua. Um, she's completely lost interest. Got her on wet food um, the last few days, and the poops are liquid. Is it just the change, or is she just not compatible? Should I hold out for a few days?
3: Yeah, so it might be both or any of them. Usually, the transition should be very slowly. It can, it, it should take like a couple of weeks. Try to mix the old food with the new one
1: So change the proportions. It, exactly, okay. and
3: then like we start by 75% old, 25% new, then 50/50, then. Twenty-five, seventy-five, and usually we give some probiotics to help with the transition also. It, it, it is very helpful.
1: Now this dog is nine months old. When do you generally recommend switching from a puppy or a, a junior food onto a kind of an adult food?
3: Usually for small and medium breeds, it's between 10 to 12 months. Then for large breeds it, breeds, it might go up to 18 months.
1: And why do we change the food? Like, what, what are the properties in each for that age group?
3: Because the requirements for every stage of life is totally different. Usually when there are puppies, they tend to, have, they tend to need more uh, calories. It's like kids, they are more active. Then with time, we need to maintain the perfect weight. Uh, plus, the nutrients usually we, we give a bit less of protein, a, a bit less of carbs, and uh, also less of fats.
1: Now, both of my dogs are definitely in the senior camp, the 11 and 7. Um, we haven't, the older one's on a renal diet because he's got some kidney problems. The younger one, we just got on an adult food. Is 7 around the senior dog diet change?
3: Your dog is a medium dog, yeah? Yeah, couple yeah. spaniels. Yeah, so I I suggest yeah, after like wait a couple of years and then move back move to the senior diet. Okay. Yeah.
1: Dr. John with us today. Um we've got loads of questions coming We've got coughing cats, we've got um, an overweight overweight Oscar. Um Mina saying, um hi both, excited to be taking my friend's dog for a week while she's on holiday. Any tips for me? It's a small dog, never had a dog before, so seeing it is a bit of a trial run. For potentially getting one? I like this question because it speaks to a lot of people that I think are considering fostering right now yeah. and there are so so many animals who would love even if it's te- a temporary home right now so whether it is fostering or helping a friend out what would you say about getting a dog used to a new environment Dr. Jean?
3: Well usually the introduction should go very slowly like try, try to take your dog a couple of days before to to discover the new apartment also ask uh, your friend about the timings of the walks and the food and what type of food is she giving and she's giving like some table food for the dog and try your best to make sure like this dog is not anxious usually when they get anxious they try to eat or destroy some stuff so try to make sure like there's nothing expensive you <laughs> know you don't want the dog,
1: the doctor <laughs> It's destroy. like here's your dog and here's the bill <laughs> yeah. for my sofa.
3: Yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> please let us know how it goes Mina. Ideally send a photo. I'd like a pick this time next week. It is afternoons with me, Helen Farmer, Dr John with us from City Back Clinic. Joining me to answer your questions and, yes, coo at the beautiful photos that are coming in of your pets. So, shout out, we just had Stenson. Stenson's friend Willow is looking for an amazing foster family. Well, so she's with her foster family. She's looking for her forever home. She is absolutely lovely. So if anyone's looking for... A beautiful dog, get in touch. We've also had Gabby reaching out about Joseph and Francis. My goodness, I just want to squidge them. And Bob, Ollie and Coco, loving the names. We've also had Tyson the cat coming in on 4001. Dr. Jean with us from City Vet Clinic. Any questions on the health of behaviour, this is your chance. We ideally, want to save you a trip to the vet, but maybe saving you a bit, of, uh, a bit of time and money today as well. To the text line we go. And I'm not, I'm not body shaming Oscar here. I'm not. We've had a message here about a border terrier called Oscar, who is on the sturdy side. Let's just say, um, six-year-old, um, needs to lose some weight. He has loads of exercise, two to three hours a day, um, loads of energy, but seems to retain weight around the middle. Kelly says, "I know the feeling." Probably around ten to eleven kilos. Um, he's sturdy. He's not one of the smaller terrier versions. His portions at the bottom end. And I feel like it's the point where I can't cut them down anymore. Any suggestions of food I could switch to or advice to get him into better condition? Very grateful.
3: Since you're doing all the work, uh, just try to change the food for some satiety food or uh, low carb food. So you can get diet food? Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of brands on the market. Try to go for some premium brand and ask your vet about which one does they recommend. Usually, it can take up to six months to lose a few kgs, but Certainly it's fine. Can. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I feel the pain, Oscar. Um, so, switching to a diet food, I mean, what I would say, and to be honest with you, Kelly, last time we took our dog in for a little checkup, he'd gained a few kilos. And then I quickly realized that I give him a little bit of, you know, the cheese tax. Uh, the kids are definitely feeding the odd thing off the breakfast. Uh, you know, we're doing a bit of training, so our nanny, you know, it, it, I think it all adds up. so we can't just think about what we as individuals are giving our pets maybe maybe have a chat with the family and be like oh actually maybe they're overfed
3: so uh, yeah you know this food like the table food tend to have more carbs high in sugars and sometimes they are very toxic maybe yeah so uh, try to avoid all these and try to reduce the weight by exercise, switching the food as I told you, some high protein food with low carbs uh, is the best on the market.
1: Let us know how it goes. Um, Callum's been in touch saying, hi both, my 11 month old cat Cinders has been coughing. She's done it three or four times in the last six months. At first I got extremely worried, thought she was choking and she stopped. Second time my wife said it was just a hairball. I can't remember if she's done it once or twice then, but I recently saw a video of a cat having an asthma attack and it sounds exactly like what happens to her and now we're worried. I am gonna take the vet to the end of the week to get a check, but I wondered what I could expect. If she does have asthma, is it lifelong medication and will it impact her life? That's from Callum.
3: Well, for asthma, asthmatic cats, usually we give them medication for a small period of time and then the owner has to monitor the cat. And it's very, very common in the UAE because, you know, we have like six month cats cannot go outside and plenty of cats are living in buildings, so they cannot go outside, just the AC and maybe some allergic reactions sometimes. So it's better to get checked. Usually we go by elimination, so it takes some time. But yeah, it's very common.
1: So you try out the medication, see what the reaction's like. Yeah. Are asthma medications safe for, for cats to be on long term?
3: They are very safe.
1: And I'm guessing it's not a little cat inhaler <laughs> like, like Actually, my dog. yeah. Is it really? Yeah. No way. Yeah, Is it yeah. the blue one? What do, what do they have?
3: <laughs> it's super funny, like the way you d- we do it. Really? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And usually some cats love it, you know, and then we give them a treat.
1: (laughs) Oh, no way. Okay, Callum, I really hope that helps. But you're absolutely right. Let us know how that goes if you're off off to the vet at the end of the week. Um, And all the very best to Cinders. Um, Can we help with some kittens? Uh, Vanita says, I've got two kittens. They're 14 weeks old. We've had them for a few weeks because the mum rejected them. Uh, They started, this is a behavioral thing, they started going for our feet, and biting a bit this week, generally just a bit crazy. We're using wands, throwing balls, there's cardboard boxes everywhere. We're not encouraging play with hands and feet. When, and then I say, no, we move on, we try and ignore them. But could this be teething?
3: Yeah, at this age they 30, Also, um, it's very normal, they just want to play. And usually they play on other times than our timings. Uh, they play around early morning before the, the sun goes up. And then uh, at night. So, yeah, they just want to play. Just try to give them toys. And whenever you see them doing something you don't want them to do, just. Take them and put them on their toys. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Let, let us know how that goes. It's no—I f- mean, those teeth are like little needles. So I know we joke about like kitten, kitten bites and scratching. That hurts. It
3: hurts. It, it hurts, hurts a lot.
1: Um, but well done for looking after them. Yeah, <laughs> Chef John. Sorry, Chef John. Doctor John showing me the scratches on his arms from the the various patients that's been through the clinic. Do you want to see a picture of Sir Gucci? oh gorgeous gucci. gorgeous gucci isabella saying sometimes sir gucci itches his ears mm-hmm. could it be due to ear mites are there any particular tips for ear care when it comes to cats
3: yes you you we have to check if ear might like usually we take a small sample we check on the microscope it takes like a couple of minutes in, in the clinic and then if there is nothing like no mites no bacteria no fungal infection we just give some cleaning uh, formula at home twice weekly but we have to clean the ears at least twice weekly for cats.
1: And how? how? Is it just going to put the foot, put it in and give it a bit of a squidge? Exactly, like <laughs> just <laughs> like just, just
3: like flush the ear with the... It, it should be like a special formula for flushing and that's it, just clean the excess and that's it. And it, then
1: what, just like a cotton swab to... Exactly,
3: just from the outside.
1: I feel like I could be a vet nurse. I could be your vet nurse. How does yeah. that sound? Yeah, you would do amazing. <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> Here's my question. and I asked um, um, Dr. Joanna last week about this as well. You've been a vet for how long, Jean? Mm, almost nine years. Okay. What's your favorite breed to come through the door where you're like, oh, yay, it's a... Golden Retriever. Golden Retriever. <laughs> another N, anyway, you're like, oh, gosh, here we go. It's another...
3: Well, Pugs. 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 yeah. Why yeah. is that? Because they are genetically modified through like hundreds of years and they tend to have a lot of issues especially they snore at night and they tend to be obese and with obesity they tend to have renal issues um diabetes for example and they're they're prone for tons of allergies food allergies dust allergies
1: and stuff sounds expensive to me pug owners (laughs) out there 4001 (laughs) if we can help you out with any health or behavioral issues of your furry friends um i was at el Cali the day and i love it that because you know you take your dogs my my kids are just all over just bothering dogs um and there was a basset hound oh my goodness but it was about a meter and a half long yeah yeah yeah. and i i I think it was only about 18 months as soon as i saw it i saw it i was like there's definitely no way i'm leaving this cafe without coming over and, and touching your dog basically it was humongous in terms of length so some breeds obviously are predisposed, not not through breeding or overbreeding or you know kind of genetically modifying them, just naturally can have problems.
3: Exactly, usually for larger dogs, they tend to have uh, joints and joints issues. So we have to give glucosamine, chondroitin, and also good nutrition can help a lot in such cases.
1: Dr. Jean with us this afternoon. I love the pics of your pets. They are absolutely gorgeous, honestly. eye health and actually some aesthetics linked to eye health now with dr Antonius, consultant surgeon in cosmetic eye surgery at moorfield eye hospital how are you doctor hello
4: hello good afternoon thanks for having me and happy my Valentine. absolute
1: pleasure happy valentine's to you too um i i'm really glad we've got you on because actually when we've talked about aesthetics on the show before um especially yeah. around dermatology some of the most common questions are you know baggy saggy eyes wrinkles around the eyes and a dermatologist will actually say do you know what there's only so much that a cream can do or even Botox can do <laughs> that's that's a question for a surgeon so here you are can you explain exactly what kind of surgery you do and I guess how it differs from general plastic surgery
4: well uh for for they're basically eyelid bags and this, the skin conditions that come with eyelid bags. You know, you, said, you mentioned those, the excess skin, the puffiness. Uh, we technically have to evaluate the patient in clinic to see what's the best approach to, to deal with the, the current individual in front of us. Every patient is a little bit different. Sometimes we have to do a little bit more skin removal. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of fat removal and redistribution into the cheeks. We want to get this nice transition zone between the, cheek, the lower lid and the cheek. If it's in the upper lid, if it's the excess skin, but you also have a lid that is a little bit covering the eye, we want to lift the lid in addition to remove that skin and the puffiness that's up there. Uh, well, it's uh, for your question with regards to what how we are different from plastic surgeons. Mm. Technically, we we ha- we're basically ophthalmologists. This is how we start out, and we do some training to become more competent at managing every condition that. Comes around the globe. Uh, basically, we develop the expertise to to deal with so many different techniques to improve the outcome of whatever condition we're dealing with in the lid. Can, uh, I, can I ask uh, about
1: the skin around yeah. the eye in particular? Especially as you know, as we get older, that skin gets thinner; it gets more papery. Um, do you need mm-hmm. to have a different skill set? I guess you're obviously looking at well you know the function of the eye but the aesthetics of the eye as well is the skin of you know a particularly challenging area
4: for for the skin uh, it's it's not when whenever you do it for a long time it doesn't become too challenging definitely definitely but uh, it's uh, if you have a lot of skin definitely need to do the blepharoplasty to get rid of that excess skin just the creams as your previous host uh, dermatologist I mean it was uh, as he said the creams might not do it enough uh, definitely, when, when we as octoplastics operate, we always think about the eye health. So we examine to check if we can remove, uh, if, if the patient is a good candidate for that surgery. And as I said, if, if we're, we're removing the skin in a patient who also has a lower margin of, of the lid or if the eyelid is totic or covering the eye. That on its own is not going to do the job. We're going to have to also work on that muscle that lifts the eye. So it's a combination of things we do sometimes. They're all lumped into one term called lepharoplasty. But it, it, we can do so many things depending on what we have in front of us.
1: We've had, an, we've had a number of messages on this topic, Doctor. Um, one saying, my saggy eyelids are aging me. Um, and you said it there. Is bletharoplasty the best thing to do? And can it be done under a local anesthetic. I'm not sure what I'd prefer. I'm not sure if, I, if I'd want to be around to witness this or if, if being knocked out for the count really is the best way to
4: go. On, on the, yeah, it really depends on the patient. Yes, it definitely can be done under local. of the time, patients prefer to be a little bit sedated, comfortable uh, so that we can operate and then they have a good experience to to, to go through the surgery. Yeah, I,
1: find a, I find a Xanax can often create a great experience. Um, so can I ask about recovery time? <laughs> you know, are we talking about lots of bruising around yeah. the eyes? How quickly can you go back to work, to, you know, reading, using a computer, your phone?
4: For the upper upper blepharoplasty, I've had patients who start working the next day and even uh, operated on something like this. Those are exceptional, of course. These, uh, you, you will be swollen, you will be bruised. Uh, most patients, if we want to look at how they behave after surgery, it's about ten days. Away. About seventy percent goes away.
1: Yeah. Um. Rich is asking on the text line four zero zero one about crow's feet, um. So those kind of wrinkles around the eye. And listen, huh. I like I like a good laughter line. I think it adds character. Aging is a privilege. However, um. I understand yeah. that when they feel like you know it is aging, is this was this in fact to be like lift or is this something that you think other methods can be more effective for dealing with?
4: So it, it's a combination of things if, if somebody doesn't have a lot of skin you know we go for Botox just to relax the that muscle that's creating that crow's feet If if it's a brow that's a little bit totic, if the tail of the brow is, is a little bit down it's gonna create that uh, small uh, crease or small fold of skin at that same area uh, but it can also be adjusted to some uh, loss of skin elasticity and the, the, basically aging that comes with time from sun damage. We can do so much with surgery for sure, uh, but we can't deal with everything. We definitely have to combine it with other things if it's due to the skin, poor skin quality. You know, creams, doing some resurfacing, laser resurfacing or peeling to that area to improve the skin quality. Those are other things that complement uh, our surgeries.
1: Uh, Dr Antonio is with us today from Moorfield, a follow-up message saying how long does the surgery take for an upper blepharoplasty? So the upper, how long would a surgery take typically?
4: For, so, so, so surgical time is about uh, say 20 minutes per lid plus or minus depending on how many things you want to do, but it's about 40 minute operating time. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's a little bit more if you want to work around also around the brow at the same, the same instances.
1: What yeah. about scarring? Um, what do you tend to recommend in terms of those post-surgical recommendations? Um, you know, I guess kind of treating it so you're not replacing one problem with another potentially. What, what's the scar tissue like in this area?
4: So for scarring, uh, we're lucky in, in the face in general, but specifically around the eyelids. Uh, the, because usually the wounds heal very nicely. Uh, even if a very faint scar uh, results, it's usually hidden in the lines we, we do our incisions in. So even in in patients who typically keep a very faint line, this is something that usually isn't observed by other people. I'm not talking about those patients who come in and develop these very severe keloid scars, um, but Mm -hmm. uh, we definitely assist with uh, the wound healing. After surgery, we give creams to help with the, to keep the wound moist, to reduce the possibility of developing scar. We, We also ask patients to put some sunscreen because and sun exposure at the wound area will make the wound a little bit more pigmented, so there are a few things we do we are we are kind of lucky in the area we operate in because they don't really uh, keep the scar that's very visible, but there are definitely things we complement with to just minimize that uh, that possibility also.
1: One thing I've seen an awful lot of on social media recently is about. Under eye darkness, you know, those shadows and concealer seems to be the the method that a lot of people are using. But I'm seeing some surgeons talking about, you know, injecting different things. You know, I'm not talking about kind of your trough fillers, but almost trying to address the color. Mm Um, is there anything that you recommend yes. for someone that might have, you know, really pronounced shadows under their eyes and always looking completely exhausted, even if they've had nine hours sleep?
4: So uh, whenever we, saw, we see patients who complain of this specific condition, we just have to know, know what the reason is. If it's loss of the volume in the lower cheek, that's creating this kind of a belly hump that's on, on top of it, so that we see those shadows. Or if it's true pigmentation in the skin. Um, if it's a true pigmentation in the skin, those are difficult to treat most of the time. But if we want to do something, those are usually with creams to depigment or inject some some, some plasma, basically platelet-trip plasma in that area to minimize that amount of pigmentation. But as, but for patients who have the volume loss, and because of the volume loss, this is what's creating the shadows, well, we have to deal with the, this volume loss by doing some fillers. In other, other patients, it's actually the eyelid bags that are doing all of this Shadowing. So this is where we deal with the eyelid bags and we, look, we work on the fat, sculpt the fat and try to redistribute the fat also into the cheek so that we have this, this uh, smooth transition zone uh, from the, the lid to the cheek to minimize any basically valleys or areas that can create so these, uh, these shadow effects which people see. So it, it, it's, it's, it's variable from one patient to the other.
1: Well, thank you so much. I think it's really interesting to know what options are. And also the fact that these cosmetic surgeries are taking place in an eye hospital is really reassuring, especially obviously with your background um, in ophthalmology as well. It is February 14th. I know we're already so far into 2024. So i guess what we're asking and i don't say it to make you feel bad about yourself but how are those new year's eve resolutions working out for you dr sarah rest with us today she is the founder psychologist there at thrive well-being center as we talk about why february could be the perfect time to have a bit of a reset how are you dr sarah i'm here so february now do you know what in other parts of the world it's a pretty dreary month i have to say apart from the last few days it's one of my favorites in dubai it is short it is sweet And the weather's pretty good. But what we've had an awful lot of people talking about recently is, you know, six weeks into 2024, all of that enthusiasm about the new year has somewhat waned. Um, So where do you feel like we are in, in terms of do you think this is a good time to reflect on what we want for the year ahead?
5: It is absolutely a good time. I think what we see every single year is that the new year prompts a lot of self-reflection. People get really excited. They make a lot of goals, which is fantastic. Sometimes the goals are a little bit lofty and they don't necessarily fit in within the parameters of our day-to-day life. We try, we see where we have wiggle room, where we might not and in February we can we can try again to make some of those positive changes in a more realistic way
1: so when you're saying a little bit lofty it's all the people maybe myself included who've gone I'm going to exercise five times a day (laughs) five times a day (laughs) heck no five times a week Um, And this is not a negotiable, 2024 is the year I'm going to do one Pilates class a week, one yoga, one spin, one weight, and then six weeks in you go, well, this is absolute nonsense because you know, I have kids and I have work and I also don't really want to be doing that. And I guess we have a bit of a reassessment about one, I guess what we want and two, what is realistic. Um, So do you feel like we're in a better mindset then to actually commit to positive changes?
5: Yes, absolutely. And honestly, in the example, you just gave kudos to whomever can last for six weeks doing that at the beginning of the year. But that's what happens. We're excited. We make these goals. We think that we're going to be able to follow through on them. But the goals from the get-go are very unrealistic because we're in holiday mode. And a lot of times, many of us have indulged in a lot of different things as we've enjoyed the festivities and that time of the year. But Mm -hmm. in February, we have a year, a month to six weeks under our belt. We've seen the life get back to normal and we're able to identify what makes more sense instead of five five times a week then maybe just twice a week. And that's certainly better than nothing when it comes to taking small steps to long-term lifestyle changes.
1: The problem is, Dr. Sarah, is that the, when we don't hit those lofty, to borrow your word, goals, we often feel really bad about ourselves and we get into this kind of failure spiral of I didn't achieve that. I'm actually, you know, a bit mm-hmm. of a loser for, for not being able to keep up with that. Um, how do people kind of shake off that mindset of, well, I failed, didn't I? So what's the point?
5: Well, I think there's the proactive preventative piece, which is when you are setting a goal, ask yourself, is this something that is realistic, not just in January, but in the medium and longer term? If you do that, and you still are not able to achieve your goal for one reason or the other, it's really important to practice a little bit of self-compassion. So what is a question you can ask yourself? Okay, I didn't make it to the gym five times last week. So what is that going to derail my health goals and my health status? no it's not, it's time no. to use that information, figure out what I can do differently and try again. And in general, and this is something we work on in therapy a lot, change is iterative. And
1: slow and steady often wins the races, they say. Dr. Sarah Rasmi with us today from Thrive Wellbeing Centre. It might be uh, the dreariest month for many people, but two things going for february it is short and it's not january um it's also a good time to have a bit of a reflect on what you do want to achieve in 2024 away from all of the new year new me nonsense that we were going through six weeks ago dr sarah rasmi on hands we talk about having a bit of a reset and really establishing what we want to do in this year and perhaps as she said earlier practicing a bit of a self-compassion if you have Maybe gone a bit astray from what you promised on January the 1st. Had a number of questions for you, Dr. Sarah. Um, A message here from Michael saying, can your experts speak about the difference between motivation and discipline for achieving goals? Interesting distinction. What what comes to mind there? We're really talking about
5: is the driver or the why behind we're doing things, uh, doing something. And we typically in psychology divide it into two forms. There's an intrinsic motivation, so when we're incentivized to do something for an internal reason, let's say it makes us feel good about ourselves. And then we have extrinsic motivation is when we have some type of an external reward, whether it be a financial incentive, a compliment, and so on and so forth. So that's what motivation is. And discipline is about the implementation of that behavioral change. So it's what we require in order to stick to what we said that we were going to do. So going to the gym, what is motivating us? Is it to feel good about ourselves? Is it to get a six-pack? the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic? And then what is the quality that is allowing us to stay consistent? Part of that might be setting more realistic goals and scheduling then and having a backup plan for
1: when things go awry as they come. I think we also, with, with that six weeks kind of gap, we start to realise what are the pain points, what are the obstacles that might be, you know, kind of getting in our way and we can start to address them in a very realistic way, which brings me to a message that's come in on 4001. You don't need to put your name on these messages. There's no name on this one saying the plan was to reduce mindless phone scrolling, worked well for a bit, got a lot of stuff done. But now I'm back to the bad habit what to do can we talk a little bit about habits Um, and ultimately good and bad but I think this phone scrolling one is one a lot of people had 2024 big ambitions about
5: I think one of the things that happens is when we set our goals we will often aim for the stars and when it comes to something like this doom scrolling we might say you know what I'm going cold turkey I'm going from spending all of my time doing it to none of my time doing it and so what we want to do is gradually scale back and if we want to take it a step further, we can reflect on how we're engaging with social media, for example. If we're finding that most of the time we're using it is in the daytime and the evening time, in the daytime it kind of helps alert us, orient us to our day, then why not keep that as is? And it's in the evening, for, as, an, as an example, we're finding that it's, it, it's bothering us, it's making it difficult for us to fall asleep, then that might be where we start to splash it. And we start by a few minutes and gradually increase it over time uh, until we hit the point that feels right for us.
1: Mm-hmm. That readjustment point. Can I ask you a personal question, Dr. Sarah asked me. Sure. Did you have any, any 2024 goals and how are they panning out now we get to mid-February?
5: So honestly speaking, I don't really do the resolutions bit. And the reason that I don't is because I am just sort of inclined to check in with myself from time to time and just see where I'm at and where I'd like to be. So my goals are on an ongoing basis. So I definitely have things that I'm working towards, but it wasn't at January 1st, 2024 is the year that I accomplish this sort of moment. (laughs)
1: Can we talk briefly, we've only got a couple of minutes left, about the concept of failure? As I said, if people, quote unquote, fail on their New Year's resolutions, it can send you into a bit of a confidence knock and a bit of a spiral that you don't feel like you're able to achieve what you want to. What do you think we can learn from perceived failure?
5: Failure is an opportunity for us to learn so many things. What is happening is in that moment, something went wrong. So we are ticking something off of the list. We need to stop, evaluate, where did it go wrong? What are some of the gaps? And what can we do to try again? And every time that we fail, we're one step closer to success. And I know for many people that have this core belief of not being good enough, a failure can be really, really, really triggering. But failure is part of life and it's something
1: that makes us better and that reframe can be a a little bit helpful. Thank you so much for your time today Dr. Sarah Osborne.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8.